0: Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for Wednesday, November 17th, 2021. Your old pal Justin Robert Young joining you yet again. We have... Oh, man. We have a good show. I exhaled because... You know, uh, in in the Falmer's the the, the Falmers, in the Falmer's almanac of political news, there are times of bloom and times of drought, and we are coming out of that. We are we are finally God. Every episode being, what's the latest on infrastructure? Like, we're done. We're done with that. We actually have races to cover. We're going to cover uh, a a possible nascent race that's happening. A a shadow pre-primary for the Democratic nomination, despite the fact that there is a Democratic president and he says he's running again, in which you normally don't have a primary so there's that and also the there's weird stuff so we'll, we'll we'll go through it we do have an official announcement beto orourke is running for governor of texas he's a weaker candidate with a stronger opponent but we're going to go deep into his announcement cuz i think you can read a lot uh in into an announcement you it tells you what the campaign thinks their strengths are the messages the campaign is starting out with you know i remember when yunkin first announced or or you know had his first big blitz he was running very moderate it was you know at that point he was like economic development and stuff like that so it was a far cry from the the warrior for education that he eventually wound up as but you could tell where they started and and there's some very interesting stuff in how beto starts his campaign and it tells you a little bit about what we're going to see going forward also we're going to talk to our friend jeff maurer he is uh, he writes a great substack very informative very funny former writer for last week tonight and we talk about annoying educated liberals and this is from the perspective of jeff who is uh, uh, an, an educated liberal. And I'm going to speak for him that when you are in the world of comedy, you are oftentimes found annoying by people that aren't looking to crack a joke every five seconds. And, you know, your boy, I uh, never, never lived in a red county in my life. <laughs> uh, I indeed got a degree from a private university. So I I, I could, I could, I could, also, be uh, uh, very much confused for an annoying, educated liberal. We're going to talk about that. Talk about Cracker Barrel. It's a fun combo. You guys are going to love it. Bird, Bur- burst. Bur- this Sunday, an article ran. In Politico.com, it was a follow-up of an article that ran in the Washington Post, meaning that enough people are talking about this in D.C. that two articles in outlets that everybody in D.C. reads were issued, and they both followed the same line. It presupposes that Joe Biden will not be running for president in 2024. After all the proper qualifiers that Joe Biden has said repeatedly that he is going to run in 2024, it goes on to detail a very busy under the radar black market primary for that nomination consisting of but not limited to Pete Buttigieg, Elizabeth Warren, Cory Booker, Amy Klobuchar, and Stacey Abrams. But the main target of both of those articles is Kamala Harris. Who gets the majority of the barbs thrown her way because if Biden isn't going to run, she would be the top crab to pull back in the barrel as vice president. I will quote now from the Politico article, quote, she's definitely not going to clear the effing field and quotes says one veteran New Hampshire operative. Harris's office is keenly aware of these sentiments and the landscape ahead of her. They continue to insist that she is only focused on being, quote, Joe Biden's Joe Biden, end quote, a strategy that could endear her to both Biden and his political network and potentially pay off with a Biden endorsement should the time come. I am going to add editorially that based on a lot of stuff that has come out from this election, it seems that many in the Biden orbit effing hater including Dr. Jill Biden. But, all right, you want to know what? The fact that a story came out in Politico the same day as Biden's worst poll numbers ever and a heretofore unseen generic ballot poll giving the GOP a 10-point advantage going into the midterms and the day before Joe Biden signed a historic, if delayed, infrastructure bill is odd. What shouldn't be odd is what you would imagine to be the clear refrain from all Democrats. This is a distraction. Look at what we've accomplished. Everything that's happened before now is the past. Everything that happens from now is the future because Joe Biden did the Joe Biden. Thing. Yes, he's a creature of the Senate. Yes, he knows everybody's uh, first, middle, and last name and how to twist their uh, twist their wrist just enough to get them to vote. Because guess what he just did? He just signed the bipartisan infrastructure bill. It's infrastructure week. Nobody has signed a bill like this in, in decades. That's what Joe Biden does. Indeed, he comes to you now resplendent in white robes. Biden the white is here joining you now at the turn of the tide. And it probably wouldn't hurt to remind everybody that Joe Biden's running in 2024. Now, the first part of that kind of happened. You know, certainly everybody in, in the Democratic Party made a a big deal about the fact that the bipartisan infrastructure bill is now law. They will look to get credit for that as much as possible. Gersten Cinema went on a hell of a uh, a little speech. Uh, I'll tell you, it's funny for everybody who wanted Gearson Cinema to talk up till now. Boy, they didn't like her giving her a little speech at the uh, at the event yesterday. I'll tell you what, but We didn't really hear a forceful, let's knock down all these rumors that Joe Biden isn't running in 2024. On the other hand, we saw two top Democrats defending Kamala. Quote Howard Dean, the former Democratic National Committee chairman. Uh, To Business Insider, what the media has done to her office is appalling. All right, whatever. Dean's out of the main hubbub. But we enter press secretary, current press secretary, Jen Psaki, on her Twitter account. Quote For anyone who needs to hear it, at VP is not only a vital partner to At POTUS, but a bold leader who has taken on key, important challenges facing the country, from voting rights to addressing root causes of migration and expanding broadband. Hmm. 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 Mm. Mm. I don't know what this means, but it means that I go, hmm. It just seems a little odd to me. Look, I've long said that anybody who becomes president will run for re-election. And that narratives of people being tired or not wanting the job are almost always nonsense. I still believe that Joe Biden will run for re-election. But I gotta say... hmm, Betting markets still have Joe as the favorite. Kamala the second favorite for 2024. At least with the Democratic nomination. The only other name that's gained traction over the past month is Secretary Pete Buttigieg. This is the most I have been curious about the conversation around this topic because these kinds of rumors. Don't circulate in those kinds of outlets unless there are credible people talking about them, especially in the Democratic Party. So what are we looking for? Well, look, Cory Booker, Klobuchar, Warren, they're going to do things that better their standing and they're going to, uh, you know, mark it off as, uh, you know, just just all in a day's work. The name in here that's fascinating is Stacey Abrams. If Stacey Abrams believes that now is the time to shoot the moon and take a shot at the presidency, then that means she's not going to announce that she's running for governor. And we are now within a year of all these campaigns kind of getting announced. She has long been thought to be a, a pencil it in favorite in Georgia for governor. You've recently heard some like, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe there's some other names. If she doesn't announce, um, I am uh, i don't know. If if she announces she's not running for governor, then I don't think Joe Biden's running for reelection. That's a weird thing to say. Hmm. Let's do an announcement breakdown. Uh, I'm going to play for you the full announcement from Beto O'Rourke that uh, he is, yes, as rumored, running for governor of Texas against Republican Greg Abbott. Uh, So I'm going to play the whole thing for you. It's not long, uh, but I just want you to have context as we break all this down. Uh, before we start, let me note the simple composition of the video. It's, it's not one unbroken shot, but it is all one uh, 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 composition of him talking in front of a fairly nondescript background, so no rolling fields, no soaring mountains, just kind of a dirt road. We also get no graphics on screen aside from the legally required wording that this is a paid political ad. Beto is wearing a blue shirt,
1: and here he is. I'm running for governor, and I want to tell you why. This past February, when the electricity grid failed, and millions of our fellow Texans were without power, which meant that the lights wouldn't turn on, the heat wouldn't run, and pretty soon their pipes froze and the water stopped flowing, they were abandoned by those who were elected to serve and look out for them. It's a symptom of a much larger problem that we have in Texas right now. Those in positions of public trust have stopped listening to, serving, and paying attention to and trusting the people of Texas. And so they're not focused on the things that we really want them to do, like making sure that we have a functioning electricity grid, or that we're creating the best jobs in America right here in Texas, or that we have world-class schools, or that we make progress on the things that most of us actually agree on, like expanding Medicaid or legalizing marijuana. Instead, they're focusing on the kind of extremist policies uh, around abortion or permitless carry or even in our schools that really only divide us and keep us apart and stop us from working together on the truly big things that we want to achieve for one another. It's a really small vision for such a big state, but it doesn't have to be that way. And I know that together we can get back to being big again because I saw that in February, when the electricity grid failed and those in power failed all of us, it was the people of Texas who were willing to put their differences behind them and get to work doing the job at hand, which meant helping our fellow Texans get through that crisis. We did this out of a sense of duty and responsibility to one another. Now imagine if the governor of Texas felt that same way. Well, there's something that you and I can do about that. I want you to be part of this campaign. And whether that begins today with a campaign contribution or signing up for a volunteer shift or just committing yourself to talking with your friends and family about how important this election is, I want you on the team and I want to win this with you and for you and for all the people of Texas. I'm looking forward to seeing you out there on the campaign trail. Thank you.
0: All right. Here are my takeaways. Number one, he is alone and Considering he got a lot of crap for how spastic his hand movements were while he was sitting next to his wife when they announced that they were running for president. It is notable that, A, he is here only by himself, and B, his hands are barely poking into the lowest fifth of the screen. So it seems like his team has understood, A, Beto is more popular than his wife, and B... Let's keep the waving, wacky, inflatable uh, hands to a minimum. Two, he is running as a centrist, capital C centrist. No flaming progressive language here. And surprisingly, he all but lays off the most passionate issue for Democrats in Texas abortion. He only describes abortion as an issue that's so divisive, as an example of the stuff that the Republicans do. That is because Beto is focused on something else that I'm going to get to in a second. But that surprised me. I was surprised that Beto did not immediately say, I am running because I am going to. If if the Supreme Court doesn't overturn this law, this abortion law in Texas, then I'm going to. That seems like slam dunk red meat. But again, we are looking at a brand new Beto. You know the Beto that ran for Senate that decided to randomly give out his opinions on like Colin Kaepernick kneeling, I think ultimately kind of did not serve his campaign particularly well. So the fact that he is showing discipline on the abortion issue, I think at least for this moment is notable. So he's 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 being uh, coy on that so he can put all the spotlight on one issue. And this is my next point, the power grid. Now, Texas experienced a tremendous freeze in 2021. The power grid failed, leading to widespread blackouts. It cost 111 Texans their lives and an estimated 80 to $110 billion in damage. The reason for it, which is explained in an awesome episode of Jen Briney's Congressional Dish podcast, was largely bureaucratic. Power plants that had the money to weatherize simply didn't fill out the right forms. So Beto wants these questions that I'm about to say to be the ones you're thinking of. Why did they not do that? Have they done that since? Are we prepared now? The more people are asking questions like this, the better off Beto's candidacy is going to be. And that's before we get into the particularly macabre suggestion that I'm sure is in the back of the minds of everybody in this race. Probably everybody in Texas. But Beto would never say he is, you know, expecting, let alone hoping for. And that is, what if it happens again? Farmer's Almanac says that there's going to be another big cold winter for Texas. But then again, the storm last year wouldn't exactly be once in a century if it happened two times in a row. So there we go. Like I said before, the more people are talking about the power grid, the closer to election day, the better it is for Beto. And that is not only because it is Abbott's record to defend and you are taking the fight to him and making him discuss things, but also because Beto doesn't want to talk about the next point I'm about to make. Gun control. The only mention about guns in this announcement is the phrase permitless carry, which is lumped in with abortion as the things Texan Republicans are doing in Austin instead of getting uh, winterization sign offs on their power grid. Here is the problem for Beto. He's the guy who said this a little over two years ago.
1: Hell yes. We're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47. We're not going to allow it to be used against our fellow Americans anymore.
0: If I were running the Texas GOP Twitter account, I would post that clip every day at 6 a.m. from today until election day. I would make Beto defend it and clarify that point. I would attempt to make Beto own, not simply being somebody who is for common sense gun control reform, but rather for confiscation of guns. Mandatory buybacks. That is stuff that he said during a failing campaign for president, he got about 72 hours of good press for it, and then he wound up flaming out anyway. I said at the time that was something that would be a problem if he ever wanted to run in Texas again. Now he's running in Texas again. I do think it's a problem. It's beyond the mainstream for average politicians. It is way outside the mainstream for Texas. Politicians. But there is something that he very much believes is a stealth win for him, and that is my final point marijuana. Beto is going to run and is now running a pro weed legalization campaign. He wants to energize those Bluing City bases. He might even be making a play to some of the agrarian elements of Texas. A reminder that Oklahoma has the most permissive weed growing laws in the country. They do not cap their amount of licenses that they give out. They have thousands more growing farms in Oklahoma than California does, which is crazy. Still, he believes that this is a turn of the tide kind of issue for him. And he makes it clear that he believes that because he lumps in legalizing marijuana in his little bit at the beginning where he's, he's listing issues on what most of us agree on. Now, that made me do a double take. I was like, wait, for real? Most Texans want to legalize weed? What Beto's likely referring to is a poll in June from the University of Texas and the Texas Tribune. They asked respondents to pick from the following four choices if they believe that possession of marijuana should be legal for any amount and any purpose, if they believe that possession of small amounts should be legal for any purpose, if they believe that marijuana should be legal for medical use only, and finally, if they believe possession should not be legal under any circumstances. 60% of respondents said that they supported legalizing cannabis for any purpose with voters split on whether or not there should be possession limits. So you should be able to buy it. You should be able to smoke it. What is uh, you know uh, up for some debate is whether or not I should be able to buy a U-Haul's worth of weed. Or if I should only be able to buy, you know, an ounce or something like that. Meanwhile, 27% said marijuana should only be legalized for medical use. That means that 9 in 10 respondents said they were in favor of legalizing marijuana. Because the first three of those issues involve legalizing marijuana. Obviously with disagreements on who should get it and how much they should be able to get. Now, it's an interesting gambit for Beto because if Weed is quite as popular as he believes it is, then it gets him to a position where he is a centrist consensus builder and he doesn't have to talk about guns. So... To me, with this race, which I do think Greg Abbott has a a built-in, fairly substantial advantage in an election where we're probably going to see a red wave anyway. I tend to think that if the conversation, if Beto is still talking about, hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15s, he's toast. If we're talking about plants be they power or dank kush then beto is, is doing good the more the the, the the further that you go but there we go that's my big fat beto breakdown politics, politics. there is only one crowdsourced national traveling political journalist that goes to every race that matters, that listens to the candidates in the same room, or in Glenn Youngkin's case, a field in the middle of Leesburg. There is only one person that because of the grace that you guys have provided me, because of the monetary providence that you guys have given me, has risked covid multiple times before the vaccine because i need to be out there for you i need to cover these things for you and while we we enjoy our thanksgiving holiday while we enjoy our our our, our december holidays i'm going to be in the lab figuring out where i'm going which races we are going to be tracking and they are all up to you, because you guys put me on the road. Everybody who heads on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. But I'm not just, you know, asking for your cash, man. I'm giving you something for your money. And this week is a historic week. Because patrons at the $3 level at take. Politicsseriously.com got an episode on Monday, which always happens. They're going to get an episode on Thursday, which always happens. You got free episodes on Wednesday and Friday. But that lonely Tuesday, that lonely Tuesday, you had an episode there too. Five days a week. Of PX3 content for folks at the three dollar level. What landed in that Tuesday slot? Oh, the newest Austonian, Andrew Heaton. Me and him chopping it up. We actually did our our immediate reactions to the uh a uh, uh, Beto announcement. We talked about uh, uh we talked a lot about guns. We talked a lot about uh, uh what the Second Amendment means to people. Uh, why it is more of a uh, uh, an issue in some places and, and not others. It's a good chat. Man, Heaton being here is pretty cool, and I'm pretty excited to be able to throw him in the feed whenever we have a chance to sit down. Mm, I'm so pumped. Man, Heaton called me up it, literally right before I started recording, and he's like, hey, man, you want to go to the LBJ Museum? And I'm like, finally. Where have you been my entire life, Heaton? Well, he's been in your feed today on Tuesday when I'm recording this. If you are a patron, takepoliticsseriously.com. See you there. As I mentioned in uh, the first segment of this show, a poll conducted by ABC News showed something I'd never seen in my entire life. When asked if respondents would vote simply for the Democratic or Republican Party next, respondents said the GOP by double digits, 10 points to be exact. Now, to give you context here, I have very rarely seen the GOP top one of these polls ever. And if they do, it's by like 1.2 points. I have never seen a poll like this from a non, you know, conservative outlet or an internal poll be that high ever. And don't just blame Virginia and New Jersey. There's something going on with the reputation of the Democratic Party. And our guest today has a guess as to what it could be. He is the author of the "I Might Be Wrong" newsletter on Substack. His name is Jeff Maurer. Welcome back to the show, Jeff. Thank you very much for having me. Good to be here. Now, you laid out something in in your in your newsletter uh, that I I feel like is a a a, a way to kind of wrap uh, our, our heads around what is kind of happening. It's become a little bit more acute after the election, uh, the election day results in Virginia and New Jersey. And that is maybe people don't like Democrats and maybe Democrats don't like Democrats is, (laughs) is, is Democrat unlikability a problem? Uh,
2: yeah, sure. I mean, and I should probably say up front, you know, I'm a Democrat, so this is very much a, a self autopsy of, of, why we're not doing as well as we'd like to do right now. And yeah, I, I think it's, uh, we have a very annoying contingent within our party and that is the contingent that, you know, could roughly be called the highly educated liberal liberal twerps. Uh, these are the, uh, young, young, very progressive people. And I, I'm kind of one of them, or at least I definitely was when I was a bit younger. Um, we just kind of rub people the wrong way. And to the extent that we're out there publicly, you know, very often on Twitter, uh, being kind of annoying that annoyance sort of sticks to the democratic brand and kind of drags everyone
0: down a bit. I almost feel like this is a phenomenon that we could strata out even more. I was thinking about this the other day, listening to a a podcast that I enjoy called blocked and reported, but the, the two hosts on that show are a, in any other time in my life, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a uh, made in the factory Northeastern defend the Democratic administration writer and a a lefty lesbian from the Pacific Northwest. These are mm-hmm. bedrock liberal institutions <laughs> as as, you know, as, as, as much as anything, as uh, as much as Sarah Lawrence College is. If, and if and- you were
2: if you if the De- Democratic Party is losing the Pacific Northwest lesbian vote, that is a real warning sign.
0: I mean, and and, and I don't their think show. I don't think they.
2: Yeah, sorry. I don't think they. I don't think they've lost Katie uh, quite yet. But, no, 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 <laughs> no.
0: But I mean, but, but if you if you look at their show, it mm-hmm. is and it has collected an audience of people that, by the ratio, they complain as much about liberals as Sean Hannity does. And and I don't think I don't say that to mm. to criticize them, but it is just a fascinating element that even these 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 parts of 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 the democratic coalition are looking yeah. at liberalism and saying wait a minute this has gone too far or or this is unhinged or this is and this is what i do enjoy about their show this is just against the principles for which we ha- thought we were building our, our 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 bedrock on. So it's like these are both the same kind of educated liberals that I think you're talking about, but uh, yet mm-hmm. I, I think you are right to say there is some other element that is just annoying, <laughs> or or uh, I don't even want to cross the line into, in, into toxic. But how would you describe it?
2: Uh, I don't know. I think annoying's. A good word. There. I mean, it, yeah. All these, all these words, you know, we, we're using the best words we have available, but it's hard to describe. You know, I'm saying educated liberals, even though I am myself an educated liberal. Sure. And you're right, the blocked and reported audience is very much it's 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 kind of me. It's super solid Democrats who are kind of going, What the fuck is going on here? Yeah. Um and again, it's a, a lot of it's self-autopsy because you don't want to be stupid. You don't want to yeah, I mean, my my big thing is sometimes you have very real priorities being sacrificed for dumb, superficial priorities. I mean, I kind of see every time something super stupid pops up in some school district somewhere, you know that Christopher Rufo and obviously Fox News are going to grab it and run with it. And that's just kind of going to make people think like, God, the, uh, the left, what is going on there? Yeah. To the extent that when something stupid happens, we don't say, boy, that was a stupid thing that happened people do kind of wonder uh the left democrats have you totally lost your minds i I think we gotta say no we haven't lost our minds uh this nuttery is nuttery and uh to the extent that things like blocked and reported exist i mean there definitely is a contingent of people on the left saying we think the craziest of this stuff is indeed crazy and i think that is actually a sign of health
0: so then, then at at what level is is this uh, annoying element of of of, of white liberalism uh, to be to be dealt with? Is this something that that Democrats need to self police, or is it something that we hope will go away? Because I mean, look, at, at, you know, up till this point, it's not like like annoying educated white liberals are a new phenomenon. In many yeah, ways, true. they've been there forever. <laughs> it, it, what what makes it different now?
2: I think I have an answer to that question. What makes it different now is social media and they're visible. I think one of the biggest things about social media is that, you know, crazy people of all stripes, like they've always been out there, but on social media, you actually encounter them now. You could have 10, 20 years ago, basically isolated yourself. You know, you pick your friends, you pick your social circle. Yeah. You can basically isolate yourself from the craziest stuff. uh, And you were able to do
0: that, but much less so these days. I'll even go a step further on that. I think that there is a a a cultural, if not a, a, a digital uh, a anthropology kind of role that all of our groups have, which is bringing the dead birds from those groups <laughs> back to us. There is some element. There is a strain, a cultural trade of and and, and this happens in all communities, be it the, the right or, or the left. There is somebody whose job it is to wade into the world for which you disagree with find the most unreasonable position, bring Mm -hmm. it back, put an exclamation point next to it. And, 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 and the cycle repeats day after day.
2: Well, I like the phrase dead birds. Like I said, we're struggling for language to describe any of this stuff. So, so dead birds is a good way to put it. And yeah, that's, I mean, that's been the model for talk radio for about 30 years now. And for Fox news for not quite that long, find the dumbest lefty in America and put that (laughs) idiot on TV or radio 24 seven. I mean, you know, some of these people are just absolute gifts to the gods as far as the right is concerned. And um, knowing that that is one of the reasons why we on the left have to know when somebody stupid does something stupid, we know it's going to it's going to make its way into right wing media. They're going to try to try to tie Democrats to it. And that's why I think it makes sense for people on the left. Every time one of these things pops up to say, yeah, no, that's stupid. That person doesn't speak for me. That's the part where we've been, uh, falling down a little bit recently.
0: Do you think that opposition media, let's understand that there's always going to be opposition media, no matter what your Mm -hmm. position is, there's going to be media that's dedicated to saying that your opinions are dumb and you are wrong. Yeah. Uh, does that matter as much as some of the damage that happens with the circular firing squad uh, uh, that that you know in in politics happens when when you know it's like, oh well you're not you know pure enough this idea isn't mm-hmm. uh, uh, now we need to race to the edge of, of of exactly what the most pure version of this idea right. is and if you're not doing it, then you are the problem because that's what I yeah. see is more destructive is when you're internally breaking down your coalition, Because look, the opposite side is going to clown you no matter what.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Both are damaging. I don't know if I could really compare and quantify the two. Yeah, It's hard for me to say which would be worse, but I would definitely agree that both are damaging. And there is this school of thought, which I think is pretty, I think it's pretty harmful because I think it's pretty wrong. And the school of thought is, hey, it doesn't matter what we do because no matter what, the other side is going to drag us. That's yeah. just what they exist to do. That's always going to happen. Sure, they are going to drag us no matter what. But I do think it makes a difference what you do, because you there are still votes out there to be won. There are people who are in the middle. There are people who could go either way, people who could show up and vote or not show up and vote. And I think enough filters through to them that it does matter what you do. I mean, yeah. you know, we're talking, you know, recently after the elections in Virginia and New Jersey. And I don't want to offer a you know definitive uh, autopsy of what happened there and exactly what what it was that tipped the scales, but it's pretty clear at this point that it it didn't help that some parents didn't really trust Democrats to uh, make smart decisions when it came to schools, and that had to do with reopening. You know, a lot of school districts opened later than the parents yeah. would have liked. That had to do with you know the school of things that uh, were tagged as critical race theory. It had to do with advanced placement classes and worries that worries that school districts were going to do away with those. You know, we lost voters trust a little bit. And I think one of the main reasons we lost voters trust is because too much stuff was stuff was popping up. That was a bit nuts. And we were a little slow to say, yeah, that's a little bit nuts. So the stuff that the right was pushing did in fact stick to us a little bit. So it does kind of matter what we do.
0: I think this is the line that, that, does become destructive and that is when your internal discourse makes you less popular to the mainstream that is not paying attention to the ins and outs and doesn't Mm -hmm. know the name of 15 different very online twitter personalities that make their entire living agitating you so you stay on the (laughs) ad platform with the bird logo like uh that that's when it's like okay well if you're defending if you're buying in, so Terry McCullough for example in Virginia when you are saying critical race theory doesn't exist absolutely not then it's like okay you have now alienated the element of the the mainstream for which knows something's yeah. annoying about their kids education so some you yeah. just say shut up what 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 you're thinking isn't real that's not helpful
2: yeah it was a little bit I hate to use this phrase, but tone deaf. It was a little it was not speaking to people's concerns. And certainly, you know, the worst of what they were worried about wasn't true. But it is true that some crazy stuff was popping up in schools here and there. I mean, it wasn't ubiquitous. You know, this narrative that schools are being taken over by this radical ideology. It's like, well, the fine taken over. But that being said, there was some nutty stuff here and there. I mean, you know, there's like a training in Loudoun County that was pretty goddamn nuts yeah, um, people are aware of what's going on in other school districts and other parts of the country. So they might see something and think, boy, I wouldn't want that to happen here. Uh, and of course, the, the classic example of. Nuttiness that got tied, nuttiness that unfortunately every Democrat has to answer for, even if this was never your thing anyway, of course, is defund the police. How many people were actually into defund the police? It's a very small number. It's like some slogan that some activist comes up somewhere. Unfortunately, it is three words. It's very sticky. It sticks in the memory. And one of the reasons it sticks in the memory is because it's so goddamn insane. You have to have some police. (laughs) So instead of talking about police reform, which, of course, we we know now, now that we've had plenty of polling and after we had an election in Minneapolis, in which a measure that a lot of people described as the defund the police measure was voted down, uh, including by... Most black voters voted it down. We know that people, including black people, didn't want, I overwhelmingly didn't want to fund the police. That was just somebody, so, something somebody said somewhere. And it's something a small ish number of activists seized on to. And then suddenly everyone on the left had to answer for it. And when I was down in Virginia, because I'm from Virginia, I'm from the Norfolk area, mm-hmm. when I was down there, every ad Glenn Youngkin was running was either Defund the police or something about schools. Yeah, that's the only thing I
0: saw when I was down there. Uh, Yeah, so it stuck a little bit. It stuck. I mean, when I was when I was there covering it for the final forty-eight hours of the campaign, that was it was school, 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 schools. Yeah, Uh, and it wasn't critical race theory. It was people are fighting too much. Kids aren't graduating at the same level. It was to you know Terry McAuliffe represents the failure of Democrats and education capital E not. And then you can let you define as a voter what you're pissed about with education.
2: Yeah, exactly. The lowering of standards generally. Yes. And that stuff sticks more if we have been, you know, (laughs) again, like there was some there was some crazy stuff in the last year where, you know, some of the awful stuff from teachers unions was that uh, when kids were out of school for a year, that didn't actually harm them because they learned in different ways. That talking point was that that. And again, that's like, the level of insanity that we on the left need to go. Yeah, no, that's nuts. When kids are out of school, that's real bad. We got to get them in school too sweet. And every time we miss an opportunity to say that we do look a little nutty. And then that talking point sticks to us a little more.
0: And it's even worse when you're walk, when you're out on the campaign trail with Randy Weingarten, the head of the teachers union, like Terry yeah, McCall was in the final in, in, <laughs> in the final twenty four hours. And Glenn Youngkin is getting an applause line for mentioning Randy Weingarten, mm. who not is, is not a national name unless you were really into this kind of stuff but yet for no. for for Youngkin's supporters it was you know uh. like like he was uh, playing the opening riff to stairway to heaven uh, they were so excited <laughs> to hear him slammer <laughs> uh, people yelling from <laughs> the audience do the wine garden stop
1: do wine garden do
0: wine garden uh yeah I mean it, it's it, that, that's what I always look for when I'm when I'm at an event is like what is the language that they are speaking if they're speaking with shorthand uh-huh. and their audience is responding to things then you can see that the a narrative has bound that that they yeah. are that they are following along with a thing and and for McAuliffe, when when McAuliffe says multiple times during his final day on the campaign trail, when you vote for the Democrats, good things happen, which is the most calorie free, substance free like <laughs> statement that you could possibly say as a politician in your final closing argument. You knew that there was a, a narrative lost.
2: Yeah, it almost even doesn't sound like causation, does it? It almost <laughs> no. just sounds like, hey, we're kind of in the right place of the right. You know. uh, <laughs> I, 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 I look. I was a former speechwriter, so I try not to uh, analyze the fine grains of you know what was said in the campaign because I yeah. know it's really tough. And I don't know, but he did lose, so there's that.
0: He lost, yeah, and and I think I think he, he he deserved to lose. Although you know, as much as I think Virginia is always going to get overanalyzed because it is so close to DC, and and you know, mm-hmm. uh, media and, and so much of the power structure is paying attention to it. Because it's just over the river, it's not like New Jersey didn't have a larger swing against the Democratic Party in, yeah. in their election. They couldn't put it over the top, but it, that was. I mean, I think uh, Virginia was an uh, an eleven point swing, and and New Jersey yeah. was like a fifteen point swing. That that was. Yeah. That that that's that's a that's a that's a big problem when you're adding into the midterms with a lot of these smaller races.
2: Right, and what I talked about on my Substack, which is I might be wrong, so there's your plug right there. Mm. I, I did this three part series called. Democrats, what are we doing here? Um, that did talk a lot about exactly what we're talking about right now, the elections in Virginia, New Jersey, and other things. And I my my starting point was David Shore's popularism theory, which yeah. I'm sure a lot of your listeners, because they're your listeners, <laughs> will know all about. But the theory in a yeah. very yeah, small. Yeah, nutshell yeah.
0: Give, yeah, give us give us the give us the
2: 10 peso version. Well, I, I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you the shortest version possible. There which, we go. Which is that Democrats should talk about popular things. <laughs> that in itself yeah <laughs> well that that in itself not a not a really controversial idea but he does basically say that you know what you might call the kitchen table issues you know, health care um child things like that those are a lot more popular than the you know kind of culture war issues we don't do well in the culture war and uh I, I recommend everyone to go you know read read david shore's interview with eric levitz in new york mag that's a good place where he lays it all out um so if You know, obviously, don't take my summation as the definitive summation of his views. But anyway, I kind of used his views as a jumping off point. And I I don't really disagree with him. I sort of want to say yes, except that his argument is sort of that Democratic politicians and people who work in Democratic politics, people who work on campaigns need to be aware of this and choose their messaging accordingly My point is that I think the thing that matters most is just the democratic brand. Generally speaking, that's the main thing. Cause, and I say this because you just brought up like, boy, you know, we can't blame it all on Terry McAuliffe. Obviously New Jersey didn't go well. It's something that Democrats had a bad election across the board. Yeah. And I, so the thing I think that matters most is the democratic brand. Matt Iglesias makes an argument very similar to this, where he talks about fundamentals my arguments very much in that area, which, yeah, it's kind of it's less about the candidate and more about the landscape when you walk into the election. And the other thing I would say is that I think that basically all of us form the Democratic brand and the Republican brand or the, you know, third party brand or whatever all the time through yeah. our actions. Because I think that, you know, people's perception of the left, it might not have to do with what Joe Biden or Kamala Harris say. It might have to do with, you know, they you know that they know somebody who goes to college and comes back with you know this you know radical ideology or they have some interaction with a coworker that really rubs them the wrong way. This is kind of bad news for campaigns and campaign consultants. But I think that basically all of us are doing this all the time. yeah when the media are doing it, and I don't just mean like newscasters. I mean like celebrities. All of this is happening all the time, and all of us kind of get a general sense of are we kind of on the right or are we kind of on the left? And that's the thing that matters most when people actually go to cast ballots.
0: So let me let me ask you this question, then, uh, because this has become a big thing. And we talked about it at, at, at the top of, of this episode. Uh, right now, Biden's poll numbers are bad. The generic uh, Democratic ballot right now, bad on on a historic level. The argument that you get from uh, many of the power players in Washington, at least over the past 72 hours, is the reason this is bad is not because they have not passed a popular bill which the bipartisan infrastructure bill is uh, not mm-hmm. that they are not working on popular democratic things like they they say with the build back better bill although i think their own definition of exactly what that is is some whatever problem considering they've argued about it for the last few months but it's the media it is it mm-hmm. is the way the lens for which they are 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 being portrayed I have some skepticism to that argument, but as somebody who, you know, with with, with last week tonight shaped issues, big and and small, do you think that there is an argument for that?
2: The media always matters. I don't, you know, I, 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 I'm sorry. I think my answer is, I don't know. I think my answer is, I don't know. It's just, it's just too big of a thing to try to get my head around. The, you know, macro assessment of all media treatment and what media treatment would look like in a perfect world. Uh, Yeah, I I just can't get my head around that. I will say that I don't worry too much about polls at this point in time. We are a year away from the midterm. Still, a lot of stuff is going to happen between now and then. I mean, who thought we'd be talking about inflation a year ago? Inflation was not a hot topic. Um, So the topics will change perceptions will change. They'll either pass this build back better bill, or they won't. That'll yep. change things. And um, yeah, who knows what the conversation will be a year from now.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess my only thing about that media argument specifically is that there was not a whole lot of conversation about whether or not the media was accurately uh, uh, discussing whether or not Democrats wanted, you know, uh, they there to be the, the idea out there that, you know, President Trump was compromised by Russia or that he had solicited uh, uh, the the Ukrainian president for dirt on Joe Biden. Uh, The Democrats have the ability to get their message out there. You just need to be united and talk about it all the time. When when you turned on the television during those moments, you saw a lot of people with D's next to their name that were saying the exact same thing over and over and over and over and over again. When you've turned on the television over the last four months, you've seen a lot of people with D's next to their name that are talking about various different things, about whether or not the BBB bill is ever going to be what it should be. And it should be $6 trillion, and it's worthless if it's less than that. And it should be three point five, and we need Medicare or we can do without Medicare. So it's like if you don't go out there and say what you want to say, then I, I, who can you blame for your message not being uh, crystal clear?
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, again, they're either going to pass this bill or they're not.
0: Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, It's
2: clear that this is going to determine a lot. And you, you know how negotiations go. It's like that scene in Monty Python where he's negotiating for the gourd, and, you know, (laughs) 14, not a penny less or strike me dead. 12 sold, you know, so you have to you have to hold out and hold out and hold out and say this is a travesty. This is a scandal. I can't believe this. I won't You won't possibly win my vote. I can't possibly get on board with this unless you meet my demands until you cave. And then once you cave, if the bill passes, then Everyone who voted for it, which was by definition, a majority has to go out there and say, this was fantastic. It's such a good thing that we did this thing. So um, obviously, if and when the thing passes, the messaging around it will change.
0: Yeah, yeah. But, you know, if, if uh, you know, in, in, in the meantime, all airtime is, you know, added up to something, then uh, I do think that there is a cumulative effect. I I, I want to bring up one thing, a fun topic that you covered in your in your newsletter that I found very uh, uh, interesting for a few different reasons. And that was your meditation on a, a, a fairly harmless video from Business Insider, <laughs> where a bunch of their staff uh, went out and tried Cracker Barrel. For, yeah. for for the first time and and what you use it as a jumping off point to talk yeah. about food jokes. Food populism, yeah. food elitism, <laughs> and if, if, like you said, everything is a composite, every little thing goes into the average. Uh, then yeah. this is is relevant to that. So, uh, please d- describe the video and 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 your point of view on it.
2: <laughs> well, I, I'm glad you first described it as a jumping off point because I I do yes. a lot of these jumping off points because you know it's comedy news, so I often need something funny and stupid to start with. And if that's not funny and stupid, then I don't know what is. So what the video is, it is um, from Food Insider, which I guess is part of Business Insider. Uh, They sent a bunch of their staffers to try Cracker Barrel. Uh, not Not just staffers, millennial staffers as defined by food insider. Although yeah. I got to say, most of them were like more like Gen Z. They're like in their mid 20s. They a little
0: zoomery, a little zoomery. They, yeah. I'm,
2: t- I'm technically a millennial
0: and I'm 41. Me, yeah. So yeah me, I'm, me, me, yeah, me too. And my head full of gray hair. So uh, I, I think, yeah. I think we are. Uh, <laughs> yeah. This
2: perception of millennials as young. I mean, I find it slightly flattering, but I also find it inaccurate. Anyway, these, these are like people in their twenties. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> <clears throat> people in their twenties and they go to try cracker barrel. And I should add, they're they're not just people in their twenties. They're all, you know, hip young urbanite people in their twenties. They're all dressed, you know, kind of, kind of cool, kind of hip. Yeah. And they go to a cracker barrel in New Jersey because there are none in Manhattan. And I think the way I put it in my newsletter is that it's like they're on an expedition to observe the habits of lowland gorillas. It's (laughs) like such an exotic trek. Ooh, we're going to a Cracker Bale in New Jersey. And the cumulative effect of all this is just just 20-somethings from Manhattan kind of going, ugh, ugh, uh, this gross food. Can you believe anybody eats this? They're not all that way, but like a lot of them are. And it did get me thinking about all the food jokes that I wrote at last week tonight and that the other writers wrote at last week tonight and how the cumulative effect of all those, if they do have this kind of air of like, Oh God, how could you eat that? It's just kind of, it's just kind of being on people. It's kind of like making fun of normies and going like, Oh, how could you eat that? I mean, I've been to Cracker Barrel a million times in my life. It's a -a 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 chain restaurant. It's perfectly fine to turn your nose up at that. You don't have to like it, but to like sneer at it does seem elitist. And yeah, it does seem like the type of thing that's like, oh, yeah, this is why people kind of hate the left. They think we're elitist snobs.
0: Well, what what was puzzling to me was that like, so no, nobody in that group has been on a road trip on the most well-traveled it's, highway in America. It's incredible. Where, where all it's of the crackheads are. Yes, they're, yeah, they're every
2: 20 feet on I-95. And <laughs> it's, it's actually, Cracker Barrel, I was thinking about, it's like the only restaurant that their entire, not entire, but like mostly their customer base is people on road trips, right? Yeah. Because I, I feel like I don't really see them in towns. I feel like I see them in between towns. And yeah. of the times that I've been to Cracker Barrel in my life, I, 80, 90% of the time, we were on a road trip at the
0: time. I've never gone on a destination trip to a cracker barrel. <laughs> like, I've I've never been like, man, I got cracker barrel on the brain. I gotta go. But I've certainly stopped there plenty well, of times through my youth and, and my adulthood because I was hungry on a road trip.
2: It is incredible that you could miss it. And just the fact that they had a, a an office full of people who work at a food publication <laughs> and have never been to a restaurant that has six hundred and sixty I looked it up, 663 locations in 45 states. None of you have been there. Maybe I, I mean, we that, are a little
0: cloistered that also that that almost uh, I feel like is a jumping off point for a trend piece on like do Zoomers go on road trips <laughs> like do do <laughs> younger millennials go on. Is that is that just yeah. an old person thing that we should all get in the car and go somewhere? Uh, uh, Maybe but, it but is. The one, but the one thing that I found fascinating about your writing there. Was the idea that when you broke down food jokes and and mm-hmm. everything from Taco Bell makes you poop to uh, uh, Mountain Dew rots your teeth, yeah. really? It's just a validation of populism of food because you can't make a no one's like, oh man, yeah. the, the foie gras here is just so dry. Am I right? <laughs> like, like you have it has to be a food that almost everyone's had.
2: Yeah, yeah, and and I did break this down in in the article. Uh, that yeah, food jokes work because you have to be, when you're doing comedy, doing jokes, you have to be talking about things that people recognize. This is why we have so many jokes about airline travel. You know, we all got on an airplane jokes about pets. We all have pets, um, food jokes are, yeah, it's things people experience. So yeah, when you do jokes about, yeah, like mountain Dew, Co- mountain Dew code red, it's kind of, it's kind of gross. <laughs> Even if you, yeah, I think people who drink it would agree, like it's an odd flavor. It's a weird, odd flavor. and other foods are notable for some other reason. Uh, I talked about the Olive Garden. The Olive Garden. Yeah. The Olive Garden wouldn't have gotten made fun of if they hadn't made all those ads where they were trying to brand themselves as. A th-
0: <clears throat> when, when 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 you're here, you're family. Like this is this is the 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 Olive Garden Cucina. Yeah,
2: if they hadn't tried to brand themselves as authentic italian cuisine yes and they had all those ads with like my grandmother from italy and she's like 105 (laughs) and she's like that food we had back in italy was this is what's good the olive garden at that point it's like okay well now i'm doing jokes about olive garden because you got out over your skis you are a perfectly fine chain restaurant but you're not authentic italian cuisine so like those jokes read that's what you say in comedy that joke reads jokes about food can read and they can do well, especially if you're making it about any food that you eat, like Jim Gaffigan's classic hot pocket spin is a great example Yeah, in that joke. He's the one eating the hot pocket. So he's not like, I can't believe other people eat these things. He's saying I eat these things. Uh, So then he has carte blanche to make fun of him. But some of the food jokes that you see on late night shows. And again, I have to confess that I think I wrote some of these, Some of the food jokes are not, hey, look at this sh- food that we all eat. It's kind of yeah. look at this sh- food that some people eat. Can you believe those people eat that crap? And at that point, it becomes elitist
0: and bad. Yeah. And and I think when you when you go back to that Food Insider video now, now we're in this weird. This weird realm of like, it's not just a monologue joke. It's not just like, all right, here's some machine gun comedy that someone's gonna land, mm-hmm. some isn't. It's this weird realm of like, is it a documentary? Should we be taking this seriously? <laughs> and yeah. Business Insider has such a reputation for kind of being this like, millennial focus kind of warped mirror world meet this 14 year old who just became a multi-billionaire only by squinting at uh, the camera (laughs) on TikTok. Like that's their kind of brand that you don't know whether or not you should be laughing at the people. Like is, is the point that they're out of touch and they are making content for that? Like there, there was part of me that
2: thought that was maybe the joke they were going for. Yeah. Part of me thought that the joke was supposed to be on the millennials. And and if it was, then that completely changes what the video was supposed to be. I will say, I don't think it came off that way.
0: No, <laughs> unfortunately,
2: no. I, I think the joke in the end was on Cracker Barrel. Um, but either way, yeah, it's, you know, nobody on the video came out and said, I voted for Bernie. I voted for Elizabeth <laughs> Warren, you know, they, they weren't explicitly talking about their political preferences. They didn't, they didn't preferences. need to. They didn't, need, they didn't to. need to. Yes. Take one glance. At, and, you know, they say they're in, they're in New York. They're 25 year olds in New York. You do the math there. And yeah. um, it, and it's also it's sort of a similar thing with late night shows, because, you know, yeah, like you said, if it was just kind of uh, comedy, we're joke, 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 we're doing one after another after another. And it's just all fun. Yeah. We're riffing. There wouldn't be any political valence to it, but the fact that these days, you know, every late night hosts political opinions, that yes. kind of changes it. It's not Johnny Carson anymore. where Nobody, nobody knew where Johnny stood. Everyone knows Stephen Colbert is a liberal. So anything he says will be interpreted by some as coming from the liberal perspective.
0: Well, food for thought uh uh from Cracker Barrel where apparently no 25-year-old New Yorker has has eaten, uh, <laughs> with uh, a a a loss Maurer. it is perfectly fine. I think it's good. You know, you play the little uh, <laughs> a, a golf uh, tee game that they give you at, the, at at the table. You buy the little
2: you... uh, the peppermint peppermint sticks for uh, 10 yeah. cents in the lobby. Yeah. My dad loved exactly. it. I thought it was fine. My
0: dad my dad loved it. You, you you pretend that you're gonna sit in the rocking chairs for more than three seconds while somebody's going to the bathroom, like you know that's that's I don't know. I mean, ultimately, you're only there so you can get the hell out because you're on the road. you're, right you're on the road, you got you're places to be. You're
2: right. Yeah. <laughs> oh. oh well. Uh, uh, Jeff, where can people find your Substack? It is I might be wrong. dot Com. Uh, oh, and I, also, and and uh, there's a podcast version now. You can find it oh, on. Nice. Yeah, on iTunes, on Spotify, all the places you find podcasts. Uh, it's also called. I might be wrong.
0: Uh, perfect. Well, everybody, go uh, uh, and and check that out. I can I can give it my seal of approval. I very much enjoy uh, reading it. So go ahead and check that out asap. Thank you so much for Thank coming you. on the show, Jeff. Yeah, thanks for having me. And that is it for us today. Politics, Politics, Politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. If you would like to say thanks to Jeff Maurer, you can go ahead and uh, hit him up right now. Just go to px 3 Guest. Dot com. Let them know that you enjoyed him on the show. If you'd like to email the program, it is the young American at gmail.com. Our Twitter is px3 tweets. You can watch me live on Twitch at px3live.com. Share this podcast with your friends and family at px3podcast.com and go ahead and grab merch for the holiday season at politicsmerch.com. You want to go ahead and hit me off with a one time Good job. Attaboy. Thank you. You can do so using any variety of these payment services. PayPal.me slash payjury. Venmo is justin-young-20. Cash app is px3cash. And you can send anything that you would like in the mail to P.O. Box 153184 Austin, Texas, 78715. Again, that is P.O. Box 153184 Austin, Texas, 78715. A big shout out to Sean. Sean, who sent me in the mail a extra large McCain Palin 08 t shirt. And this is a thick t shirt, too. This is this is a this is heavy duty stuff, so you know I love failed campaigns. Uh, McCain campaign, uh, McCain Palin rather. 08, the, the 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 navy blue, yellow and white. Oh boy, that one was uh, uh you know old enough to remember that there was about a week and a half where that Palin call was brilliant. The polls were going in the right direction. The right parts of the Republican Party were animated. And then the bell rang and she had to go on television and she was uncontrollable and her family was a mess and her children are getting pregnant. And it was it was just a. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. What 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 a what a what a what a wild ride. But uh, uh, thank you. Thank you to Sean for sending me that again. PO box 153184 Austin, Texas, 78715. Of course, you can always get our bonus content at takepoliticsseriously.com. Three dollar tier gets you this week three bonus podcasts per week, covering all the news that we missed on our free podcast schedule and the $10 tier gets your name read at the end of the podcast, like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier. Idris Arslanian, DJ Katie Mack, Meister, Dr. G. Lord Scale, the Quince Anile, Admiral Flapjack, Utah Jimmy Montana, Edmund Pluribus Unum, Pete Spicery, 70s TV salesman, or spy. D really invoke Gloria Young for king of the new world order. Zombie doc Edison. No mention on the podcast, please. Dot com junkie DP for bongo Jewish lives matter. hundred mile runner staff. Sergeant poopers double K ranch. Pop gold. Ye old pinball shop. John snuffy's off route 44. Super Zoomy. Neil Charles, Darren, Olin and Angela DL, Steven, Chad, Miranda, Janelle chief, Robert Casey Paul Richard D. Laser, just another pilot, middle aged Mike the Gen, Will J. Pick, and Andrew. You want your name read? Well, head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com and sign up at the $10 level. But till next time, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying that that's All we got for today. What is on the Friday show? What is on the Friday show? I'm going to go check my. Oh, we got a newbie. We got we got somebody that hasn't been on the show before. Uh, uh, She is a, uh, a progressive activist and somebody that we're going to have a conversation on how you organize and turn out progressive votes. Now, this is a fairly challenging time to do it. So, if you're going to figure out what works, now is the time to ask. But, till then, I'd like to remind you that some shows talk about politics. Others talk about politics. Still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss. Oh.